I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week and a conversation I really enjoyed. Andrea Carter is a host, analyst, and reporter for ESPN and the SEC Network. If you are a basketball fan, particularly a women's basketball fan, you have seen her excellent work across multiple ESPN platforms. She also had her first NBA draft assignment this year and uh, got a little taste of... uh, of that very prominent assignment. So we talk about uh, Andrea's, uh, her basically her journey from playing basketball at the University of Tennessee, one of Pat Summit's last recruits, to having Maria Taylor help her get a break at the SEC Network. And she has become, what I think is fair to say, is a rising star at ESPN. Really thoughtful, smart, prepared, analytical basketball analyst. And we had about a 45-minute conversation that uh that i think you're uh, gonna enjoy uh, one thing i did not know about andrea that uh i learned she's an amateur boxer and uh might be the only current amateur boxer right now at uh at espn so that's pretty cool so i think you're gonna enjoy this uh, andrea carter of espn and the sec network coming up on the sports media podcast all right as i said at the top Andrea Carter is a host, analyst, and reporter for ESPN and the SEC Network. You've seen her doing studio and commentating roles on women's college basketball, the WNBA, college football, and very recently you just saw her on the uh, that company's ESP that company's NBA draft coverage. So that's a pretty big assignment for her. Somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a while. I really like her work, and I'm pleased to be joined by Andrea Carter on the Sports Media Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm all about you, all about this. So I'm excited. Yeah. It's, welcome to a mediocre, low budget podcast, Andrea. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so I, I want to start with the NBA draft uh, because, you know, the, you know, like I, I covered women's basketball at Sports Illustrated. So I'm, I've been aware of who you are for a while. Like, I, you know, I know you played at Tennessee. And, but the reality is, and I think you know this, that like, being on the NBA draft, like that's a big step that you're going to get seen by an audience that might not necessarily know you. So how does the assignment come about? Like when did you know you were going to do it and how did you sort of approach it and, and think about it knowing that, you know, this is a pretty big assignment for me. Yeah. The NBA draft was incredible. Um, I got a call from my agent, Kevin, who was like, Hey, they're talking about putting you on the NBA draft. How do you feel about doing the NBA draft? And I was like, I feel amazing about doing the NBA draft. Um, I didn't, I covered ACC men's basketball with Jay Billis all season long. And I did that all last season. Um, We had the big Monday package and 
kept up with men's college basketball all season long. Luckily, I'm just a basketball junkie. So the amount of basketball that I watch, even not knowing I was going to draft, I had a pretty good baseline of guys that I liked and, and guys that I had genuine thoughts about. And the one thing I always trust, even with a limited amount of time, which I found out about the draft, basically I got a call from my agent and then I got a call from the head of the NBA broadcasting. So what I'm learning about kind of the NBA is ESPN can't just say, Hey, we want Andrea to do the draft. ESPN can't say, all right, Andrea, we're going to put you on the draft. It has to be approved by the NBA for me to be a part of that broadcast. So that was new and I had to learn that. So I ended up having a a chat with the head of broadcasting um, and he was great. was very complimentary of my work and I got immediate confidence because almost like everything that I've done so far, uh, Paul is his name, just wanted me to be myself. He's already liked what he's seen from me and that's exactly what he wanted from me. And so to be honest, I found out a few months before the draft that I was going to be a part of the draft. And I had some other commitments that I've already made because I didn't know I was going to do the draft. And so it was a bit of a scramble in terms of doing the amount of prep that I wanted to do, which was a lot. Um, so it was... It was a grind, but I felt really good about the prep that I did, the knowledge that I had of the guys, the film that I watched. The I wanted to know the NBA side and I wanted to know the college side because I wanted to have things to add to both. You know, JJ talked a lot more NBA. Jay Billis talked a lot more college and I wanted to be able to contribute on both sides. And so I had a good system and all 30 teams, I had notes on what I thought they needed. And I had thoughts on 80 players that I thought would gifted. And uh, I didn't have one that wasn't drafted. So um, I felt good about it. Our team had so much fun. Me, Malika, JJ, Jay Billis, for it being our first time together, I thought the chemistry was awesome. The production was great. And uh, I already know what I'll do differently and more efficiently in terms of prep next year. But this was a really good start. That's interesting. So a couple of things on that. Um, when you do your prep, do you do you do you travel to do prep at all? Like, do you go out and see any workouts, or is this all um, film based and then fo- like phone based, et cetera? Yeah, so this year was more film based and phone based, pro- mostly because of the time. Like, had I known more ahead of time, I think I could have definitely planned around some of the travel that I already had for other work assignments in terms of like, oh, okay, I'm in LA. I'm just going to go to this pro day or, oh, I'm in this state. I'm going to get a car and drive four hours to go to this pro day. And, you know, I'm in Atlanta. I'm going to go see overtime elite and chat with those guys. And now because of the phone calls that I've had and the connections that I've made doing it this year and doing a good job with just film and phone calls and my own experience with some of the players that I've covered, I think that's given me a baseline enough to now make those calls and easily get into some of those opportunities as far as watching in person. And that's definitely something that I'll do next year. Um, and also like this coming year, I'm just going to try and go to games, like go to games and watch guys in person um, is one of my goals. So in in person is definitely what's next. But here was film and phone calls with all kinds of people that were around these draft picks. Forgetting about the top three guys, which I mean, even a knucklehead like me can sort of see that these three guys like deserve to be the top three picks. Um, 
let's say after after three when we get to four, who between four and the end of the draft would you really would you let like my listeners are like keep an eye on these people three four years down the road? Like if I asked you, let's say if the draft for you started at four, who would be your first two or three people that you would you would have taken there? My started at four hmm. outside of the top three guys. Mm. So it's like some of my favorites, right? Like they don't have to be top 10. They could be whoever no, I think. No, no, it could be, be anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I honestly do really like the top. I know they were four and five. So the, from what I was told about those two guys, I know at the draft, I compared them as like the guard versions of Tim Duncan in terms of, very minimalistic, very simple guys, just want to hoop, just want to play their athleticism. I think that those, they are, but already with that mindset, I think that those two are going to be really, really promising NBA picks. Keontae George, and this might be recency bias because he looked great during summer league. Um, and that doesn't always translate. I know guys can look great in summer league and then it doesn't translate during the season, but I do like his game in terms of his scoring ability. Um, and I, this is, this is, people are going to get mad at me at times because I'm a Tennessee person, but I was also a Connecticut fan growing up and they were in my top three as far as I wanted to go to school. Jordan Hawkins to me is going to be a great scorer in the NBA. Uh, I think I thought, he was going to go to the Pelicans. I thought they were a good pick for him. So that was one that I was excited about as well. Um, and late draft pick, my guy was Belmont who went to the Pacers, who I think is the perfect organization for him. So a little bit later and a little bit earlier, those are some guys that I just have my eye on in terms of, they stood out to me when I was prepping for them. They stood out to me personality wise. And I think they went to teams where they are a good fit um there are a ton of others Derek Lively has a great story too so I want nothing but for him to be successful but those are yeah those are a few guys that I'm keeping my eye on for sure so to me one of the things that I've really appreciated when I've seen you on air uh for women's basketball coverage is that you feel like an analyst who's kind of like the next evolution of analyst in that you're really into analytical breakdowns. You're really into player breakdowns. You played the game at a very, very high level. So you also have a player perspective. And so you combine to me like sort of the new age kind of stuff that people like, you know, advanced statistics that people are into with also like the eye test, like you played, you can tell if like, um, this guard is really good or this center is really good. Um, how do I ask this? Like, was this intentional or is this just you? Like, did you sort of want to like sort of create like a kind of new idea about the, you know, even ESPN's given you a, like a very odd, not odd's not the right word, giving you a very new position in that they're, you're, you're like half sideline reporter, half analyst. You know what I mean? Ha like they, they've actually appreciate your talent where they almost created a whole new paradigm for you. So um, was this planned or did you just, is this an evolution of just what ultimately became what you're doing? Yeah, this was not planned. None of, none of TV was planned for me in the first place as far as even being on TV. So all of this has been a surprise. But early on, uh, when I was doing stuff with the SEC Network, they had me do this film breakdown and they called it doing work with Drea. And basically it was a big telestration type screen that was kind of hard to press. And I, I would pick three or four hustle plays 
and I would freeze them and highlight where the hustle was or highlight where she shifted the guard or whatever happened in the play. And I just naturally was enthusiastic about it. One, because I was talking about hustle and that's how I made a living in college basketball. It was not scoring, it was hustling and playing hard. And two, I naturally was good at it. Like the way I could pause it and freeze it and draw it and keep it moving and and be interactive. And so it kind of started there in terms of film breakdowns and arrows and, and highlights and doing all that stuff. And then once I realized that was a strength of mine, everyone that I work with, and this is really just a compliment to everyone that I've worked with so far, I feel like they've played to that strength. And so they've given me more and more opportunities to do that. And like you said, creating the sideline analyst opportunity where literally my only job is to find plays and opportunities during the game to use the Telestrator and teach things and show things. And so, no, it wasn't planned. I honestly never had an idea of what kind of analyst I was going to be. It just sort of molded into its own form. The more TV I did, the more studio that I did, and the more confidence I gained in certain areas. And luckily, I think, like I said, the people that were working with me picked up on it quickly and played to that strength as well. So now it's just kind of become its own thing. And I think the authenticity of it, like I really do just get so fired up in those spaces. I think that translates really well also. Yeah, no, you can't, I mean, you can't fake sort of the interest that you have in this stuff. You you just couldn't pull it off. Um, In doing research about you, uh, what I learned is that Maria Taylor plays a significant role in your going into broadcasting. Uh, We'll hit on Tennessee a little bit at the end, but for the audience who doesn't know, uh, Andrea played at Tennessee, um, was one of the best players in Georgia when she was recruited, one of Pat Summit's last recruits. Uh, started as a freshman, uh, played for Holly Warlick when Pat Summit became uh, the emeritus coach that year, and then was obviously in Knoxville when Pat passed. But so you um, you finish your college career. Uh, you know you had to fight a lot of injuries. Probably didn't go as the way you wanted it, especially given um, how gifted a player you were. And so at some point, Maria Taylor enters your life and makes a suggestion like, "Hey, like." I can introduce you to the SEC network or I can bring you to the SEC network. You may want to check this out. Can you pick up the story from there? How, what, so what happened there? How, how did that, uh, how did that meeting come about? Yeah. Uh, Maria's amazing. My freshman year, you mentioned injuries. So my senior year in high school, I tore my ACL felt decently recovered from that. Ended up having trouble with it later, but my freshman year in college, I had a shoulder surgery. Um, so I redshirted. Um, I started my freshman year, but my shoulder just, was continuously dislocating the point where it was just disrupting everything. So had a surgery in December that year after starting and playing early in the season. And in one of our games, it was a game at Auburn. Maria was the online analyst for the game. And I talked to her there. So I'm in a sling. Maria is the analyst online. And I just start picking her brain and chatting with her. She obviously wasn't the Maria Taylor that she is today in terms of, you know, her, Yes, who she is and what she's done in the TV world at this point, but picked her brain. She was so open, so welcoming, gave me her phone number. And throughout my career, Maria did a lot of SEC network stuff, the tournament. She did the women's tournament, just did a whole bunch of things. And so when I ended up foregoing my fifth year, um, it was a really hard decision. I was still living in Knoxville to finish my master's degree and doing odd end jobs just to make ends meet at that point. And I, picked up, you know, Carolyn Peck, 
Maria, everyone was like, Hey, for extra money, you should be the online analyst for Tennessee's SEC network plus games. Tennessee is the one who hires those people. You were just there last year. You'll make a couple hundred bucks a game and you get to talk basketball. And so Maria, you know, she's just amazing. She watched a couple of my games that I did early and she was like, you should come stay with me in Charlotte and I'll, I'll take you around the SEC network studio. And so I went, spent a weekend with her in Charlotte. She took me to the studio. I met a ton of people that I had no idea I would be working with on shows um, and on future productions, but saw the studio, saw where she sits, saw what she does, saw the green room where she gets ready. And I, I got excited at the thought of being in those spaces, but I had zero idea that I could actually be in those spaces. And so long story short, I do a couple more online games. Kentucky ends up picking me up for an online game. South Carolina picks me up for a couple online games. And the head of women's basketball, Pat Lowry, sort of catches word of who I am with the help of Maria Taylor. Maria helps us set up a meeting, helps me get in contact with Pat. And um, I don't think if it was, if I didn't have Maria, Pat wouldn't have gotten back to me. I guarantee it. So Maria was the ultimate plug. I drove to the SEC women's basketball tournament. Maria gave me her credential to get in so that I could meet with Pat Lowry. Um, And that initial meeting with Pat led to me sitting in the truck to watch the women's basketball championship game for the SEC tournament. And Pat just picked my brain the whole game. What do you think they're going to run out of bounds here? I'm like, oh, Victoria Vivian's to the corner. Do you think Dawn Staley's going to run zone? No, she hasn't ran zone all season. I haven't really seen it. They should run to Asia Wilson. She's getting down the court. Just picking my brain. And in that very moment, she goes, all right, next season, mind you, it's like March at this point. She was like, next season, I'll give you two games on TV. And if you do well, maybe I'll give you some more. And so it kind of just went from there. Thanks to Maria. Maria Taylor, paying it forward. That's a great, great story. Um, and uh, I, Pat Lowry did tell me once in some piece that you were in the you were on the in the truck, and that you really, really impressed us. So, like, the lesson there is that, like, man, everything in life is sort of a job interview when you don't even uh, yeah. maybe when you don't even realize it. So good on you to uh, good on you to hit that. One of the again in doing um, in sort of reading about you, um, it's very clear that as you were doing. Uh, you're as you're uh, sort of embarking on this broadcasting career, you're still staying in like fitness, right? Yeah. You you um, become a um, we don't have the many of these by the way where I am Orange Theory fitness coach, yeah. um, which I'm assuming like you got to train to sort of be able to train people. Is that essentially like yes. they might they got that right? Yeah. Okay, so you're in some ways like you're parallel tracking a little bit, right? You you want to see what happens with broadcasting at the same time. Um, you're also embarking on this, uh, fitness career. Um, you got a master's obviously. So, you, you know, you may move up really, really quick in that. Um, so what was that like? Like you, were you basically sort of like, uh, maybe like insulating yourself, having two potential careers and seeing where each take you? Uh, yes, that was, that was incredible. Honestly, my, my bosses at orange theory were amazing. Um, it's, uh, Jamie weeks who runs all the orange theory studios that I was a part of. And I started as a, just a regular coach that you could sub and you make your own schedule and it's really flexible. And so it felt perfect, um, to be able to travel to games, you know, and then because of my master's degree and because of the classes that I was coaching and the feedback that everyone was getting, I got 
got promoted to be a head coach. And then I got promoted in Orange Theory to be still a head coach, but someone that I would go to, I went to Boston and helped train coaches. And so there was almost like a regional position involved in terms of training new coaches. And it was, I moved up very quickly and had great stability in that space. I had insurance in that space. I had a salary in that space, which when you're on TV and you're paid part-time by ESPN and you're paid per game through Broadleaf, you're not even a Disney employee. Orange Theory was my safety net. And honestly, for until I went full-time with ESPN, in my head, I was just an Orange Theory coach that did TV on the side. It it never really, and it was always my mindset that I was going to put my best in both spaces and exhaust myself to do so and see where TV could go. But I wasn't ever going to let go of Orange Theory until I really felt like it was my time on TV. Um, So for me, and I know there are people that are like, take a leap of faith. You can't do your best work when you're splitting hairs. But for me, I needed the stability to feel great on TV. You know, I didn't want to leave a game and then wonder what I was going to do the next day. It led to some really long weeks in terms of coaching from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. or 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then driving to Charlotte to do a show and then driving back to coach classes the next day. Um, There were some weeks where I coached Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning. I had a show Thursday night. I drive to Charlotte. I drive back, coach on Friday, coach on Saturday, and then I'd catch a flight to go wherever my game was on Sunday. Um, So Sunday was technically my off day, but I was somewhere for a game game, I'd fly back after the game and I'd coach again on Monday. So there was a stretch of those weeks where it was brutal. Um, And right when it got extremely hard and I was almost in, I was in tears talking to LaChina Robinson about it. Another one of my mentors, she encouraged me to push through. And I kid you not, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous and it sounds like I'm making it up, but I was ready to quit called her. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to split myself. I'm drowning. I feel like I'm drowning. And she told me to stay uncomfortable. She told me to push through. And I went full-time two months later, two months later, I went full-time ESPN. So, but Orange Theory was great. They were always supportive, always understanding. The members would be like, we know you're going to be on TV or we saw you on TV. They were so excited every day. Um, and it was fun. It was just, it's a connecting job. And that's what I feel like I try to do on TV is connect to people. Um, and I felt like I did that at Orange Theory too. Are you doing any kind of uh, uh, like athletic training right now? Whether it's uh, not as formal as Orange Theory, but just, uh, you know, I don't know, like wherever you live, like, you know, you, you would be a significant asset for even private training if that is what you sort of wanted to do in addition to broadcasting. Yeah, I I don't train anyone currently. Um, I train myself. I've actually been, this is, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've been boxing um, like amateur level. I don't think that's crazy at all. Um, Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. Arguably the best athletes in the world with gymnasts. That's been the hardest thing I've ever done is, is training. I... I'm two and zero oh as an amateur boxer. Um, so I, I train for that mostly. I obviously can't fight very often because I'm on TV. Um, so that's hard, but we wear headgear. Um, I fought in February and, uh, it was awesome. So that's most of my workouts now are catered to that also journey. It's like, as soon as I let go of orange theory and now I'm on TV and now I have another 
goal in mind that's not exactly connected, but that I'm in love with when it comes to boxing. This is this is a regular, but this is not MMA, like traditional boxing. Boxing, yep, not MMA, just boxing. Um, gloves, headgear, the amateur level, but the workouts have been absolutely insane. But it's been a lot of fun. Two and zero. Oh. Two and zero. Oh. Will you fight again? You think? I do. I fight actually at the end of July. Wow. Um, congrats. Hey. That's, <laughs> I would think, uh, I mean, again, you know, never, never, n- never say specifics without doing the reporting, but I would think you may be the only ES- active ESPN employee currently <laughs> amateur boxing. Maybe. So, uh, yeah, congrats on that. That's, uh, I will follow up with you on that. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. And you, you you're doing this in Georgia. No. So I live in Charlotte. I live in Charlotte. So I ended up. Oh, you live in Charlotte. So you're doing this in, okay. When I went Got full it. time, um, the initial contract was mostly for SEC network stuff, which was all in Charlotte. And so for me, just having commuted for a couple of years, I, to myself was like, well, if I do shows in Charlotte or we call games now from the studio, um, at least those days will be home days. If I live in Charlotte, um, also the Charlotte airport, the Charlotte airport's a little easier than the Atlanta airport. Yeah. Yeah. Connection. Uh, you still have a pet snake. Is that still, uh, oh. Yep, I do have a pet. what kind of and what what I, I don't know enough about snakes, but what kind of like breed or whatever it would be. He is a ball python, ball like basketball, um, ball python. He's just a, an original basic ball python, and I'm actually getting a second one, a girl, uh, towards the end of this month as well. So I will have another ball python. She's a she's a bit more of a special. We call them morphs. She's a bit more of a special morph, but. She's an ultra male. She's going to be beautiful. Um, so you have some. Okay. And you can, this is my naivete here. But like these are home animals like that. You can, you can, they're domesticated. Yes. They are domesticated. They don't, they have an enclosure. Like he doesn't just roam them out around my house. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm not, no one should come over your house if that's the case. <laughs> no, he's in his enclosure all the time. He has a heat panel. The humidity is regulated. He's really spoiled. Wow. Um, but he's, I've had him for 10 years. So he is a life partner at this point. Did, did, uh, I don't know. Like, did you just like, you, you feel an attachment to snakes or did your family have them? That's just, it's an interesting pet. If not, if you call, I mean, maybe pets the wrong word, but it's an interesting life part. He, yeah. Um, my biological dad had one when I was young. So there, I literally have a picture. I can pull up my phone and show you right now. Um, of me, I'm three years old with, this with a snake around my shoulders. Um, and, so, and my mom, before she met my stepdad, her and I had a pet snake. We had a boa. And when she met my stepdad, who's like a father to me, when she met my dad, he was like, yeah, no snakes. So growing up as a kid, once I couldn't have a snake, I was like, as soon as I get to college, I'm going to get a pet snake. And I was, I'm pretty determined when I say I'm going to do something, I'm learning that I pretty much do it. Um, so I got to college freshman year and I got a pet snake, um, but I loved him as a kid. Like my mom would take me to the zoo and we would go to the reptile room and we would stay there in first grade. I drew a picture of a snake as the pet that I would have. Um, so it's, can you see this? Yeah, yes, I can. Wow. <laughs> so it's basically Andrea has a photo of her at like three or four with a snake around her. Looks like a big, like uh, scarf. Uh, a scarf. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's been a thing. They there's more to them than people think. Um, like yeah, I bet. When people see him with me, they're like, "Oh, he's comfortable with you." Like you can tell he's very comfortable with me. So, but did you have a roommate in college? 
we had where the, the snake was part of that and how did this how did the roommate feel about the snake the roommates were great like all my teammates even today will be like how's nothing doing i'm like he's great we i would take him to elementary schools like he was we he was a big thing we run we run errands together now like we just hang out um his name is nothing wow. capital n nothing yeah yeah it's my boy interesting okay <laughs> Uh, all right, a couple more, a couple more things here. One of the th- this is like, um, this is both, um, I think, an interesting observation about where we are as a society, as well as just uh, a, a terrible commentary on also where we are as a society. So you went viral for sort of uh, going after JJ Reddick. Uh, as it turns out, like you are friends, and like this was kind of shtick, basically performance shtick. But a lot of people thought, like. Uh, you were serious, and just for those who don't know, like you, you called him on the NBA draft, like an av- like you call him an average shooter or whatever, whatever the phrasing was. Like you know, obviously anybody knows JJ Redick if he's known for something in the NBA, was obviously one of the great shooters of his time. Um, so I wanted to get a sense of what what was that? What was your experience like, particularly online, when a lot of people obviously took this um seriously it's also your first time there and there's always going to be misogyny and stuff like that like why is this woman on the nba draft coverage but i don't know i'm not saying i'm happy that you had to experience this but you also kind of probably learned something maybe about the power of television and words based on this and i'm wondering just um from your perspective what that was like yeah 100 percent. so the whole thing was planned which i think is really funny like we were literally having a conversation way before the draft started going over some of the early things we were going to talk about. And while there's like, none of the show is scripted, but we had a funny moment between JJ and I that everyone was like, Oh, you like, you should do that on the show. Like Dre, you should call him an average shooter on the show. And so I did. And obviously people went crazy over it. And I had to like remind myself that, you know, when you don't know someone, sometimes it is hard to tell if they're joking or if they're not joking. And I, I was meeting more or less 6 million people that didn't know me. Um, the NBA was pretty adamant about me doing some breakdowns on NBA today for the draft and stuff like that to introduce me a little bit to that audience, but more or less people that didn't watch that had no idea who I was. And so I, I did experience trolling and people, you know, it was, it was a really good lesson in terms of you can say something and someone can take it in a million different ways. And you have to be like, I felt very good that I do know that JJ is a great shooter, that it wasn't a mistake, that it was intentional. And I meant what I said in a joking way. So I had a very strong understanding of what I was doing and everyone that knows me and that was a part of the show also does. So I trust in that. What I felt thankful for was that that was the case because I have seen people say things on air that either they don't mean, or it was a slip of the tongue, or it was an accident, or it was completely wrong. And people run with that. And now you're fighting to defend yourself and apologize. And, you know, like I felt very fortunate that I didn't have to apologize. Like JJ knew I was joking. The whole thing was planned. The whole thing was, but I did learn, yeah, the power of TV. Like there could be a moment in the future, hopefully never, you know, for me, but where, I do slip up or say something and I have to be like, oh, I didn't mean that. And and that's going to be hard to do. But I think this example and this experience for me has kept it more on the forefront of my mind to make sure I'm sure about what I'm saying on air. 
um, whether it's a joke or whether it's an analysis piece or whatever, so that however 6 million people want to take it, I can stand on it and know with like integrity that it was whatever factual or fun or my true self and not a misrepresentation of who I am. Like that joke wasn't a misrepresentation of me, what, no matter how people took it. So I was glad that it wasn't a really bad mistake on my end that I had to learn from. It was just something said on my end that people took a certain way that I still learn from. So it was take it for that, for that, for that draft experience. I'm like, Oh, that, that they're about that's fine. Like that's, that's okay. He, um, you know, this is a wrestling term when you know sell something and he no sold it, which means that, you know, people would believe it was real. And that's kind of why it um, went viral. Had he just laughed right there, it's a different story. But I actually think it's funny that he didn't. And yes. so, um, you know, in hindsight, he, he sort of played it right. All right. The last two things I want to ask you about. Um, I make the presumption, even though you obviously are getting a little bit into the NBA, you're still going to be doing women's college basketball this coming season, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So, um, I would argue there's probably never been a more anticipated season in women's college basketball than this one. Uh, the sport just, um, had its greatest viewership moment with, uh, 9.9 million people watching LSU beat Iowa. You have transcendent players coming back, maybe more transcendent players than, um, we've we've ever seen just in terms of popularity and that's where like nil and social media has changed the game um as someone who played in a sport cares passionately about it and will be part of the most important property that brings women's basketball what, what's your anticipation for this year and particularly off the fact that again we ju- the it's one thing to sort of have like four or five million people watch the women's college basketball final and that would be a great number But this was 9.9. I mean, essentially, this was almost a World Series game. And it changes the whole, in my opinion, paradigm for the sport. We'll see what happens in terms of whether they make the women's uh, Final Four its own unique property. But this is my long-winded way of saying you're you're a part of something that's really, really sort of significant at the moment. And what does that feel like for you? It feels special. You know, it feels amazing. I think that to be a part of covering these athletes in this moment in time where so much is happening that we haven't seen before and they're being recognized in a way that female athletes and women's basketball players have always deserved to be recognized because the talent and the personalities and the people there, that's always been there. That's always been a part of this league. Every player that has come through women's college basketball has been fun to watch and exciting and and had a lot to bring to the table. And now everyone is realizing that and we get to be a part of putting that out into the world and sharing those stories and it being supported. And I think that it's, it honestly motivates me to do an even better job to stay with the moment. Like the one thing I can't do is slow down or slack off in terms of my prep and in terms of my thoughts and in terms of the way I want to connect to these coaches and these players because I'll get left behind. So it's motivating. You know, these players are now working so incredibly hard to not only be great on the court, but also create their own brand off of the court and set their futures for their families in terms of NIL money off of the court. 
And so they're putting a ton of effort in. The coaches have to work, I think, harder than ever to manage everything that they're managing. And so it's motivating for me to work harder than ever as well to make sure that we continue to share all that we can to continue to grow the game. I think it's it's so much fun. And honestly, I love everybody that I work with in every space. But women's basketball feels like home to me um, in terms of just the people. And they've been with me from the very beginning. It's the sport that I played. And um, it's really cool. Like, it's so cool to watch these players be 100% their authentic selves and perform at a high level on the court and just grow who they are, who their teams are. Each team has different personalities and you start to see that more and more. It's, um, it's truly special. Like I can't, I really can't even speak to how awesome it is to be a part of it. Last one. There, there are, um, there are people, particularly people at ESPN who have really forged careers where they were able to navigate, um, and, be part of both the women's basketball group and the NBA group. Uh, Doris Burke is probably the patron saint of this. She now obviously is full-time NBA, but for many, many years, she did significant women's basketball games. She did the women's final four, and then also would do the NBA. Um, you know, that's once upon a time, maybe 30 years ago, people would have been like, this is in- inconceivable, but that's not the case anymore. We've seen other, um, Sarah Kustak is another one. She's a great analyst for the Nets does a ton of games for um, Fox. Lisa Byington is the Milwaukee Bucks play-by-play person, does a ton of women's games as, uh, as well. What do you want to do heading forward at, at ESPN, like ideally? It, do you want to try to do these two paths? You're obviously, it seems like you're going to do women's basketball for sure because that's your passion, but do the women who have sort of come before you give you some sort of um, roadmap a little bit to maybe pull this off where you're in, you're in both these worlds? Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel fortunate to have examples of women that have done it before and people that have done it before, um, not just women, just people that have done it before. But for me, it's, it's really interesting trying to piece together what a year looks like. Even right now, doing just the NBA draft, I did studio for the Brooklyn Nets this past season, and that was awesome. Um, And then also for me, mixing in college football, which is another passion of mine. I I really enjoy the college football space. I grew up a football fan. My hometown is a football town. Um, So what do I want? Like right now, everything that I do, it overlaps. And so trying to figure out how I can be in these spaces. um, And last year I did. I did college football. I did the WNBA. I would leave a Nets studio show and I'd go to a football game on Saturday and then I'd go to a basketball game on Sunday and then I'd go and it was just crazy, but it was awesome. So I do think that I'm inspired by the women that have come before me. And also I very much think I can take up spaces and bring value and enjoy being in multiple lanes. Um, And just in the landscape of things today, I think having versatility is helpful um, for just, you know, a lot of everything that's going on. So yes, the end, that was the long winded way of saying, yes, I would love to do women's college basketball. I do men's college basketball, WNBA, NBA as a basketball analyst on ESPN. I want that to be all encompassing and I want to have the knowledge to step into any space, whether I'm filling in for someone or whether I'm consistently a part of a package, I want to be able to fill in a role as a basketball analyst. And if I can have a role in football as well. And one, you know, 
football might not last long. Basketball is obviously my heart and my soul. Um, but if I can make both work in that terms of that, as long as I can, I will. And in terms of NBA and college basketball, I definitely want to try and stay in both spaces. As we talk in mid-July, do you have a college football assignment yet or will that come in a little bit? That's coming. That's all in the works. So last season, these last two seasons, I had like an SEC network football package. Um, there's a lot of reorganiz- reorganizing going on right now um, on the football side of things and just in general. So I haven't gotten an assignment or a crew yet. And it's interesting because, you know, there's not just one person that runs everything. So the person that's over football at some point we'll have to talk to the person that's over basketball and see if it makes sense now that I'm doing so much for basketball and, and see what makes sense. You know, like in my ideal world, it's like, well, could I still do 10 football games? But on the football side of things, just seeing from their perspective, they're like, well, if you're with a crew, we want you 16 weeks and then two bowl games. And so trying to figure out what everyone wants and if I can do it to the best of my ability is where we're at right now. So conversations are being had and we will decide, but I do. The one thing I want is to feel my best when basketball season starts and like these past couple of seasons, basketball season has started and I've almost felt like I'm trying to catch my breath. So trying to figure out what it all looks like and how I can be my best self. Every single assignment is the new goal now, which is a great goal to have because it just means there are a lot of places for me to be. And so I just have to think about where, what fits the best for me and where I feel the best, which I'll, I'll take that problem any day. Yeah, no, that would be a good problem to have. And I wish you the best with that navigation. Uh, Andrea Carter is a host, an analyst, a reporter for both ESPN and the SEC network. You've seen her, uh, doing these roles on women's college basketball, the WNBA, she just mentioned college football. Uh, we've also now seen her on the NBA with uh, her analysis on the NBA draft, and uh, maybe that also leads to more uh, NBA work. And again, as she said, she did, uh, last year at least she did stuff for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Andrea, listen, um, I, I, I wish you the best of luck. This has been really, really interesting. I'm, uh, hopefully you'll come back on uh, during, uh, during your season at some point. But um, I, I really... Uh, I admire your, uh, your, the path that you've taken, and in particular, I think you just you look at basketball intellectually, which I really, really appreciate and just respect as a viewer. So thanks for coming on the Sports Media Podcast and uh, continued success. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your support, and I'll definitely be back easily. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Andrea Carter for uh, what was a terrific conversation. As I always say, if you like these kind of uh, if you like these kind of podcasts, please leave us a five star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Uh, last couple of weeks and months, we've done a lot of different stuff from uh, examining Leo Messi's time in America through the lens of MLS and Apple with Taylor Twelman. Sally Jenkins was on this podcast. James Andrew Miller on uh, ESPN's management changes. Neil Everett came on this podcast to discuss um, his uh, ESPN journey and what he wants to. Uh, do next and again so you just head to the archives and you should find some stuff that uh, you will enjoy i want to thank patrick antonetti for his hard work thanks to everybody at odyssey for their support and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the sports media podcast